Girlfriends, episode number 141. This is why your marriage isn't perfect yet. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week, we're talking about some hidden habits that might just be hurting your marriage and how we can avoid them. Come on, let's get started. Hey, girlfriends. How are you? Glad you're here. Thanks for showing up for another episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. I'm always glad when we can connect like this. First up, I want to welcome any new listeners. We've had a bunch of new listeners recently, and I've been meaning to do this. I just want to say hi and welcome. Welcome to the Girlfriends community. I'm glad you're here. So here at Girlfriends, if you're just getting started with us, I host different topics every week. Sometimes we have interviews with people of note um, or otherwise. And sometimes I just talk about things that are on my heart because if they're on my heart, a lot of times they're on your hearts too. So things about family, marriage, work and life balance, our spirituality, um, I come at that from the perspective of a lifelong Catholic. So of course that colors my perspective, but I want everyone to know that you are welcome here. If you are interested in the topics we're talking about here, there is a place for you. There is a voice for you here at the Girlfriends Podcast. And we're so glad that you're joining us. It really is important to me that every woman who turns on girlfriends, feels welcomed and encouraged, regardless of her faith background, her marital status, her age or stage of life, her phase of motherhood or non-motherhood, all of that stuff. I think we really can come together here at Girlfriends and connect about the things that we have in common as women. So thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. And I hope you'll get comfortable and become a, truly a participating member of the Girlfriends community. One way I want to shout out about that you can do that officially is to join our uh, Girlfriends podcast group on Facebook, which is growing. I love it. Sorry, guys. I sometimes am not on Facebook over the weekend, and then I come back and I see a bunch of requests. So I hate to leave you hanging. Um, but so I do approve those as, as soon as I can. And um, so you just need to go in and you do need to get approved because it's a private group. And I want it that way. And I think that makes it a much more comfortable space for the people who are there to just connect with each other. I always say, like, the greatest gift that I can give you guys is access to each other. And this private Facebook group is a wonderful way to do that. So it's a closed group. So you have to request membership. You go to facebook.com forward slash, maybe it's backslash. All right, just slash <laughs> groups slash girlfriends podcast. Okay. So I'll also put the links in the show notes so that you can just click and come on over and join us. It really is just a place to talk about the topics we might talk about here with one another, but then also um, make suggestions for future shows. Also just bring your prayer requests, just share what's going on in your life, share something you might be struggling with. It's really a community of women who want to encourage and support one another. So I love that it exists. And I love that so many of you have responded to my call to join. So check that out, especially if you're a new listener. It's a wonderful way to get started with us here at Girlfriends. So this week I'm talking about marriage. And this is something I periodically want to come back to because it's been my experience that our marriages need all the help we can get. And yeah, I gave this a little bit of a gimmicky title. Like 
this is why your marriage isn't perfect yet, because none of us is living out a perfect marriage. And there's room for improvement in all of our marriages. And I don't care if you've been married for six months or 60 plus years, there's room for improvement. And you're always learning and growing together and facing life's challenges will always challenge you in different ways and, and bring out different problems, perhaps, between you and your spouse. But it really is our primary relationship for those of us who are married. This is our focus. Yeah, of course, the kids are important. But do you know that your marriage is the foundation on which your entire family life is built? It is that primary relationship. If it's messed up, if it's askew, if it's lacking love, every other part of your life is going to feel it. And it's going to be hard for you to be a good mom, a good dad, a a good worker in any kind of a way, a good friend, because this is the most important relationship. If you're married, your spouse is supposed to be the most important person on the planet to you. And you're supposed to make it that kind of, that make that relationship that kind of a priority in your life. And I think sometimes, and, and sometimes not for bad reasons, just because we get busy, we get distracted, we fall prey to some things. And honestly, I believe that Satan is terrified of strong, healthy marriages and the good things that we can accomplish inside of strong, healthy marriages. Now, notice I'm not using that word perfect from the title because none of us is going to have a perfect marriage here on earth. In fact, we won't even be married in the next life, but I don't need to bring that up. Sometimes that upsets people to hear that. Um, but anyway, well, you're not going to have a perfect marriage because this is an imperfect world and you are an imperfect person and you are married to an imperfect person. Um so I think it's important to just keep that in mind that we're not going to reach perfection here, but that doesn't mean we don't always be looking for ways to improve, ways to strive toward that perfection. The same way we're striving toward perfection in our own holiness, this is part and parcel of that. If you're married, your marriage is a huge part of how God is calling you to holiness, your unique call to holiness. Your spouse is right there with you. You're supposed to be helping each other to get to heaven. So um, so I just want to talk about a few different ideas, some different thoughts I've had. But before I even share those ideas, I want to share, first of all, one thing that I feel like our culture gets so very wrong about marriage. And I'm, I'm very aware of this because I have young adults now. Um, my children are, are growing up. I've got one daughter that is preparing for marriage and in the spring. And so it's very much on my mind, like the cultural messages that we get, especially as you're planning for a wedding, give me a break. It is insane. Um, and we're hoping to avoid a lot of that. We're hoping to create a special day that's going to be memorable and meaningful for all involved and celebrate appropriately this wonderful occasion, but not in the way that gets sucked into what the culture tells you this is supposed to be in a way that I think really takes the focus off of what marriage even is. So. Um, I just want to say at the beginning that our culture teaches us subtly and not so subtly that your spouse is supposed to make you happy. I mean, does your spouse make you happy? Does your husband make you happy? You can be married to the most wonderful person on earth, and I happen to be, and still that person isn't always going to make you happy. We are flawed creatures, and it's important to recognize that. It's important to recognize, guess what? That's not his job. His job isn't to make you happy. That, that's not what marriage is about. God's job. God's the only one who can make you happy. Jesus can make you happy, right? So don't put God's job 
on your husband's shoulders. Don't be looking for your happiness there. And I think many of us fall into that trap. And it it really is fed by um, our culture, which teaches us the person you're in relationship with is supposed to make you happy. And if they don't make you happy, there is something wrong and you need to move on to the next person. You need to find someone who will make you happy, right? That's why we have this disposable culture that we live in where we toss relationships aside. We toss people aside. We, we get married until that person doesn't make us happy anymore. It's unbelievably selfish and unbelievably short-sighted and unbelievably so obviously a clear recipe for divorce. And, you know, I've witnessed this even among my own acquaintances and friends in my own community here, that people who, you know, are about our age, um, there was there was like a, Dan and I got married pretty early compared to our peers. We got married right out of college. Um, But then shortly after that, there was just this rush of marriages among people our age. And then, you know, then there was a rush of people having babies. And then sadly, I don't know, seven, 10 years in, there's a rush of people getting divorced. And I'm actually witnessing a, a different rush of that a little bit later in uh, people around my age as their kids are older of people getting divorced. And now I want to say, uh, first of all, if you are divorced, this is no judgment on you. Of course, I'm speaking in broad terms. I'm not speaking about your particulars. And there are many people I know and love some of them who are legally divorced and whether or not they got their marriages annulled varies, but um, through no fault of their own and it's never something they wanted. So I understand that. And I understand that this is, as I said, a fallen world. And um, we're talking about this ideal of what marriage is supposed to be. Uh, But you can only control who you are and what you do. So anyway, I don't want anybody to hear this as a judgment of their particular state in life, um, for sure. I don't mean for it to be that. I really want this to be an encouragement and a support for the value of what marriage actually is. And so what our culture teaches us is that you move on to the next person when they don't make you happy anymore. And of course, you're always going to end up in that place where the person doesn't make you happy and it's going to be feel like, okay, yeah, right, time to move on. Um, so let's reject that. Let's consciously and intentionally reject that cultural notion that your spouse is supposed to make you happy. That doesn't mean they won't make you happy sometimes. That doesn't mean they aren't a tremendous blessing in your life that you love and that you cherish. But it means it's not their job to make you happy. Their job is to help you get to heaven. And sometimes that's going to be accomplished by being a great source of challenge to you, a great trial to you in some ways, a cross for you to bear the fact that you are together forever in this relationship with this particular person. And it is so hard sometimes. I think it's really important for us to come together as a a community of women and admit that to each other. Because that's something that I was really hungry for, especially, you know, inside of maybe the first 10 years of my marriage, where I was looking around at other examples, especially other Catholic families that I admired that maybe were a few years down the road. And nobody was talking candidly about the fact that sometimes not just being a mom is hard because there's plenty of that going around. People are very willing to talk about that. But being a wife is hard sometimes. Being a husband is hard. It's being married, staying married is hard. Staying together is hard. Staying committed to one another because sometimes you're going to be more committed to your commitment than you are to the person that you're committed to. That's just a fact. And it doesn't sound very romantic. But you know what? In living it out, 
Over the long term, it's the most romantic thing there is. It's the greatest love there is, is that kind of sticking it out over the long term. So anyway, that was just my my little intro before I want to talk about these different little things that I've observed. Um, some of it I've observed in other couples, talked with about other couples. Um, but a lot of it just comes from my own experience doing things probably the hard way and learning things the, the bad way by messing it up in my own relationship. But the first one I want to talk about is making bad assumptions. Does this exist inside of your marriage? I think we fall into the habit of doing this a lot of times, especially in relationships where we're spending a lot of time together. And that is definitely your marriage. Um, this is so tragic. It's so tragic because I, I can think of, and I, I wish I could remember specifics because I'd love to share with you some specifics, but you know, so many of the great quote unquote fights that I've gotten in with Dan over the years have been based on exactly this. Each of us making bad assumptions about what the other person's intentions are. And that doesn't come from a spirit of love. That comes from a spirit of defensiveness, insecurity, jealousy, underlying anger issues, all kind of nasty stuff that can be kind of lying beneath the surface. But that's where that comes from. If you are connecting with one another in a spirit of charity, there's going to be no room for those bad assumptions. But we do fall into this, don't we? Um, you know, he might do something that seems completely thoughtless. She might do something that seems completely um, just not even just thoughtless, but deliberate. I know I've been surprised sometimes inside of my relationship with Dan where we'll get in a big fight about something and then in kind of talking it through later, he'll be like, I know that you did that because of this. Like I was trying to get him back for something. And it wasn't that at all. I was so surprised, you know, multiple times. I've been so surprised that that's what he thought. And I've done the same thing. And, you know, seeing him kind of have that thought process and being on the end of it like, no, that isn't true at all. I wasn't thinking that at all. That was something I actually didn't even think about. Right. And um, for sure, sometimes there's fault on the on the other person's side where, the, you know, it may not be bad intentions, but it is neglect. It is carelessness. It is thoughtlessness. It is kind of a lack of, of courtesy or thought about the other person's point of view. So I think a lot of a lot of good can come from talking things through afterwards. If you've had a disagreement, mostly if it's just like a verbal disagreement. So many times Dan and I will get in these arguments that end up feeling very nasty and ugly and we both have bad feelings and we don't even actually disagree about anything important. It turns it turns into just this kind of like spiral like, oh, well, then you said that and then you said that and then but there's no like main thing that needs to be resolved, like a decision we're making or, or something that we're actually disagreeing about. A lot of times that's what it is. It's just these miscommunications, things that can kind of spiral downward once you assume the worst, which many of us do out of a, a sense of insecurity or defensiveness. Once you assume the worst about your spouse's intentions and communicate that. It really does spiral downward because then you've got bad intentions and then they're they're shocked and, and hurt and upset and angry that you've made those bad assumptions. You know, sometimes that's the, the most offensive thing. It's like, what? What kind of person do you think I am? So I think it helps to kind of take a step back, especially if this happens to be a time where you're not in the throes of some crazy argument with your spouse and think about. The, the times recently, perhaps, where you've disagreed or where, where things have, have gotten unpleasant between the two of you, and were bad assumptions a part of it? Was it a failure to take the other person's point of view into, 
into consideration? Was that part of what was going on there, the bad communication between the two of you? Could it have been resolved quickly or avoided altogether if you had just taken a moment to think, wait a minute, wait a minute, this person is not a monster. I am assuming these monstrous intentions on his part. Maybe I should just ask what's really going on here. So important to do. And it's something actually I'm really proud of Dan because um, in talking about this together, he's kind of made it more of a habit to kind of pause early in those conversations where maybe I'm not even uh, so much inclined to because I'm upset and just just kind of hit the pause button and be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm feeling upset because I feel like you're saying this or I'm feeling upset because I feel like you're you're doing this because of this. This is what your intention is. And that's very upsetting to me. Is that what's going on? And it really gives me the opportunity to take a breath and be like, no, no, that's not what's going on. Or even if it's a little bit of what's going on, to own that and step away from it and say, I'm not doing that. So um, really, really important to think about where and when and how you might be falling into that bad habit of assuming the worst about your spouse. I mean, there's nothing less loving than that, right? Okay, next one I want to mention, next reason why your marriage might not be perfect yet is unspoken expectations. This is a tough one because this leads to so many conflicts. This leads to so many bad feelings that sometimes also go unspoken and you just kind of shove them downward. You have unspoken expectations. They don't get met. So then you have disappointment. You don't voice that disappointment and it just gets worse from there. Just building of resentment, right? All those things that lead you to those bad assumptions, unspoken expectations. And we all do this. We we all, to varying degrees, some of us are worse or however you want to put it, better at it than others. Um, and kind of playing games like this, like expecting certain things. I even did this this past weekend where I was leaving on Sunday. Um, we had this beautiful healing mass at Holy Cross Family Ministries down in Massachusetts. Um, so I was going to be gone for most of the day on Sunday. And um, so I was I was leaving the house and it was kind of, you know, well, you know what Sunday mornings feel like. It was crazy. And I noticed that there was just piles and piles of dishes in the kitchen, in the kitchen sink that just needed to be dealt with. The kitchen was gross. And it was because we had intentionally spent time together as a family. We watched a movie together the night before, which was totally fun and all of that. Um, but what had gotten neglected was nobody did the dishes. And I you know, paused for a moment and thought to myself, I should assign this to somebody before I leave. And then I thought, uh, and this is something I really struggle with. And Dan usually is helpful to me with assigning chores to kids because I have this this kind of feeling of guilt, like it sh should be my job. So many things that like if I'm parceling it out to kids, I feel guilty or like I'm being lazy or I'm, I, I don't know. I do struggle with that. And so, but I do you know, from an intellectual side, really value the idea of kids contributing and doing household chores. So it's something that Dan is usually very helpful with. You know, I'll let him know something that needs to be done and he'll he'll assign it. And um, I had this little thought, like I should just assign that before I leave. And then I thought, no, um, Dan will do it. But you know what I was really thinking? I wasn't thinking Dan will do it. I was thinking, let's see if Dan will do it. 
That's what I was thinking. If I'm going to be 100% honest with you, that's what I was thinking. What a dumb game to play. Anyway, um, I lost the game because I came home later that evening and the kitchen was still a wreck. But for his defense, Dan was out most of the day. He, he had multiple things going on, kids who was driving places. He was out for most of that day. So he really wasn't even there to even notice it and assign that chore. Um, yeah, also guilty are the multiple kids who are in and out of the house all day. And also, unless they're blind, had to have noticed the giant mess in the kitchen. But, all right, finally, to my credit, when I came home and noticed that, I didn't freak out. And I, I didn't accuse Dan of not caring. But I know I would have, I could have for sure in the past responded that way. But what I did instead was I kind of laughed at myself like, you idiot. Why, why did you play that game? Why didn't you just say that you wanted that done? If you wanted that done, say it. And say it to the kids, assign it to the kids yourself, or, you know, say it to Dan if you want him to help you out in that way. So dumb to play that game. And how many of us do that? I mean, it may not be about dishes or chores or whatever with you, but how many of us do that? We kind of play those games like, let's see if he really loves me. If he really loves me, he will notice this little thing and meet this small need that I'm not telling him about. It's so dumb. And, you know, even with the obvious stuff, I say obvious because it feels obvious to us, but it's not obvious to them. So having these unspoken expectations that inevitably go unmet because we haven't talked about them and then having it build up because then we get disappointed and we don't talk about the disappointment or we talk about the disappointment in an angry, accusing way like you have failed me. And he's like, or she's like, you never even told me you wanted that. You know, you never even told me that was important to you. Really, truly legitimate defense, right? So think about some ways. I just want to encourage you to think about some ways in which maybe you tend to play those kinds of games, test your spouse in different ways, test their love or however you want to put it. What are your unspoken expectations? And what are some ways that you could actually speak them out loud? Have a nice, neutral, non-confrontational, non-accusatory conversation in which you let your husband know what's important to you. Really basic stuff, right? Really basic stuff. Why do we struggle with this? I really feel like pride gets involved a lot because it makes you vulnerable. Having that conversation saying, you know what, I really need help with this. I wonder if there's some way that you could help with this. And it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the one stepping in and doing whatever the thing is, but he can he can be the one that helps you um, figure out how to get it done. He can be the one that helps you prioritize. He can be the one that relieves you of some of the guilt you're feeling about what you're not doing or whatever it is. It's not all about housework, right? But that's a great basic example I think that many of us experience. I want to encourage you to think about what are your unspoken expectations with regard to your marriage, with regard to your spouse, and um, and what are some ways that maybe you're holding on to resentments that aren't fair because your husband isn't meeting your unspoken expectations, okay? So just give that some thought. All right, the next one that I want to mention is apathy. Oh, yeah, that word. We have to talk about that word when it comes to our marriages, for sure. And actually, it's very serendipitous because um, just just now <laughs> I paused this podcast because I had a scheduled radio interview. It's still pretty early in the morning here. And um, after the radio interview, I've been recording in my car, I went into the house and um, I ran into Dan. And 
it was it was a funny moment because you know when we become apathetic in our relationships we kind of lose sight of those opportunities that we have those small things the small stuff that we do or that we usually do or that you know the ways in which we spend pleasant time together and become apathetic about our relationship and not really intentional about nurturing it and making sure there's time for it. Not in big fancy ways, in small little ways. We become um, kind of, we, we're creatures of habit, right? And we just kind of fall into these habits perhaps of not taking advantage of those little opportunities inside of our marriages. Well, anyway, when I went in the house, this is through the magic of podcasting. You didn't even know this happened. That I paused the podcast, did a radio interview and went into the house. Um, but anyway, I did. And um, Dan was up and getting ready to, to leave for work himself. And the kids were still in bed. And it was just quiet in the house. And I thought, okay, I, you know, I, when I'm in the middle of like recording a podcast, that's a great example where I am super like, focused on accomplishing the task and I get annoyed if I'm interrupted. So I had already allowed for this interruption of the scheduled radio interview. And um and then I thought Dan's leaving in 10 minutes and I could I could rush back outside and get back to recording my podcast. Um and it will be done 10 minutes earlier than it otherwise would be, which doesn't matter at all because I record these a week ahead of time. Um but or I could spend these 10 minutes and just, you know, sit with Dan while he's having a cup of coffee before he leaves. And that's what I did. And I was in I don't know that I would have done that unless I was in the middle of recording this particular podcast. And this was my next topic. But anyway, it makes a great example of a little moment, a little opportunity that you have. And we all have them to choose to connect with your spouse. It doesn't have to be some fantastic loving gesture. Those are great, too. But even a small loving gesture or even something as simple as spending 10 minutes when you could just hurry up, get back to what you were doing and be focused on productivity. So tempting inside of our busy lives to fall into that, especially once you have kids. Like the kids are a constant source of distraction and pulling away. And yet I really believe, and I have seen this happen in other people's relationships, that that's where they fall apart is when you get into those habits and you just kind of make these you know, separate lives, just one small thing at a time, the one time you didn't bother. And I think I shared a few podcasts ago, um, I don't remember what the topic was, but about a, a, a blogger that I used to follow, a well-known blogger who ended up um, getting a divorce. And when she was explaining why, she said it wasn't any big thing. It was all the little things. It was all just the, you know, the times I, I stopped waiting up for him when he was working late or, you know, all those little decisions that we make, which, I mean, I'm not trying to guilt anybody about, you know, not spending enough time with your spouse. There, there are times when you prioritize other things, but um, just being conscious about the habits that you're falling into and the ways in which you're getting comfortable living separate lives, perhaps, the ways in which you don't put in effort where you did in the past, the ways you've gotten comfortable not doing that, becoming apathetic about your relationship. Apathy is huge. And I think it's a sneaky one because it isn't some big dramatic thing like, oh, he had an affair or, you know, some tragedy happened inside of your marriage and that's why you broke up. It's it's small little things and they build on each other because we're all moving. We're, we're all moving either in one direction or another inside of our marriages. And are, are you moving in the direction of constantly 
looking for ways to improve, ways to connect, ways to repair, ways to heal whatever wounds exist in your relationship? Or are you moving in the direction of just letting those things slide and just kind of backwards, backwards progress, which isn't what any of us want. So I want to challenge you to think about some ways in which you might be apathetic in your relationship. Maybe it is just not getting up to spend time with your spouse before they leave for work. Or maybe it's not the, um, you know, not making the time that you used to, to just sit and chat with them. Something as simple as that. Um, But it might be little acts of service or love that you used to do that you don't do anymore. Just kind of gotten out of the habit of doing it. Some, we all get lazy and comfortable in our relationships. And in, in some ways that's a gift inside of our marriages that we can be comfortable, but um, don't allow it to become something where you become so comfortable that you've fallen out of the habit of um, nurturing the love that's meant to exist between you and your spouse. So think about the ways in which apathy might be creeping in in your relationship because I know it. it's insidious and it's a relationship killer. All right. Um, the last one I want to mention is negative communication habits. Do you have negative communication habits? I promise you, you do, because everybody does. We all do. And especially inside of um, long-term relationships, we all fall into these patterns of communication. And if you can become a student, if you can step outside of your relationship sometimes, maybe even in the middle of a conversation, you can recognize patterns of behavior between you and your spouse because we all do this. And some of them are negative. Um, One thing that surprisingly has really helped me in this area in my own marriage, but then just in observations in relationships in general, has been a podcast that I listen to sometimes. It's been a little while since I listened to it, but it's called Where Should We Begin? And it features a therapist, Esther Perel, who's Belgian. And um, she speaks exactly like, you know, the typical therapist you would imagine speaks. And these podcasts are like 45 minutes of couples therapy, real couples talking inside of a therapy session with Esther Perel. And it's fascinating to me. I don't know if everybody would find it as fascinating as I do. But again, it's called Where Should We Begin? If you're interested in checking it out. Um, But these are like real therapy sessions. And some of them are about like salacious, gross details of their relationships. I just skip over those topics. But where she's really helping people to heal their marriages and heal their relationships. I think it's really been valuable to me because listening to the way that she kind of counsels these couples. And um, usually it is just, you know, them talking and her kind of nudging them or guiding them or directing them or um, sometimes correcting them inside of their conversations with her and with each other about their problems. Um, But sometimes she will kind of be, you know, they'll, they'll cut to just her talking outside of it and she'll be explaining what's going on. And she'll explain a pattern of behavior that she's noticed in this couple. She'll say, this is where she baits him by saying this, this, and this, pushing these buttons. And this is where he responds in this angry, typical way. And then this is where she responds to his anger by shutting down or whatever it is, you know. And she'll explain that pattern of behavior. And then you will listen as this couple does it (laughs) and see it for what it is. And it's so easy to see in somebody else's story, isn't it? I think so often we see truths in other people's stories and it's so hard to see in our own story to see in your own marriage, but so important to do. So that's why I want to encourage you to kind of step outside of your relationship. Maybe if you've had a negative interaction with your spouse afterwards, go through and say, you know, what, what on earth 
was that? <laughs> you know, like, what happened there? And has that happened before? Because we all have these, you know, oh, I can't believe we're going to argue about this again, right? Um, if you have that going on, then figure it out. Figure out a way to stop that. Stop it in its tracks. Find out what your participation is in that conflict, the role that you're playing inside of that conflict, and own it and change it because you have the power to do that. Um, so, I, you know, I think being outside, having kind of a third-party observation of your communication habits is helpful. But also just pay attention to the ways that you communicate. If you find yourself like surprised by your spouse's reaction to something you say or the way that you say it, then analyze what's going on there. I know this has happened to me with Dan many times where um, th this is something that I do. When I get upset, and it may be upset at him, upset at something else, part of how I express my frustration in the moment is I exaggerate things. Like I'll be like all the time, every time, every day. This always happens, you know. I think it's kind of human nature to do that. But it took me many years into our marriage to realize Dan doesn't do that. And he's very precise with his language. So he expects other people to also be precise with their language. And he does not readily recognize the emotional influence in moments like that. And so he very easily can get offended by me saying he always does something that he knows for a fact he does not always do. You know, and I, I know that I recognized, gosh, probably this went on for way too long before I recognized it, um, but that we would end up in these like legalistic battles inside of our relationship where we're arguing about something and then also we're arguing about like what the meaning of the word always is and how I meant it in that sentence. And to me, I was thinking, this is stupid. Like, you know, I was just coming at it from my own perspective. Everybody communicates this way. Everybody should understand that people communicate this way and he shouldn't get offended. And, you know, on his side, he's like, this is stupid. Everybody knows words have meaning and she should use the words that have the meaning that she means. <laughs> Both of which are reasonable, right? I think so. And, um, but just, you know, recognizing both of those perspectives are reasonable and then recognizing we both have those habits, those, those ways of communicating those things that we're kind of bringing to the table when we're communicating and being aware of it. So in situations where that's happening, I can be more aware of avoiding exaggeration, especially in ways that might be hurtful or feel like outright lies to him. Um, and he can avoid taking offense and say, oh, yeah, this is that thing she told me. She gets emotional and she exaggerates. And that's part of how she's expressing it. And she doesn't really mean this never happens, right? Um, so anyway, I, I think just being aware of your own habits and the, the ways in which your spouse approaches communication is so helpful. And unfortunately, we can only come to these kinds of realizations in conclusions after messing it up many times. That's just fact. You know, you got to live it out many times. You got to suffer the effects of doing it wrongly. And I'm sure we're still doing it wrongly in many ways. But I, I have found that over the years, there are some things we've gotten better at because we can recognize those patterns. So I want to encourage you to look at your own relationship and the ways in which you can maybe, you know, recognize what your communication habits are for good, for bad, for neutral. Recognize what they are, I think is huge. Recognize the ways in which you push his buttons. What are his buttons? 
why should you not push them? <laughs> what happens when you do? What are the negative consequences for you? What are your buttons? How can you communicate to him about what those are? You know, I think there's so much to be gained inside of thinking these things through, maybe after the fact, um, and, and talking them through together, but doing a lot of that work yourself. Just doing a lot of that self-reflection and saying, oh my gosh, I was so surprised that he responded in this way. Or, oh my gosh, I was not at all surprised that he responded in this way because every time I say something like that, he responds in that way. Um, it just, you know, being grown up enough and outside of the situation enough to assess it fairly and figure out what the pattern is, what's going on there. And be a little bit of a therapist in your own marriage relationship. And um, I do find that podcast helpful. You may or may not. Um, actually, it was uh, there was one time I was I was driving for a, a long period of time, and I listened to maybe like four in a row. I was so emotionally drained by the end of that trip. I was like crying with these couples, and I was like, okay, my own marriage is fine. <laughs> I feel like I've been through the ringer. Um, so be cautious in the ways in which you might use that. Um, where should we begin podcast with Esther Perel? But anyway, so that's the last one that I wanted to mention. So the ones that I mentioned are making bad assumptions, having unspoken expectations, falling into the habit of apathy, and negative communication habits. But you probably have some ideas that have come to you while you've been listening here about ways in which your marriage could be improved, but maybe ways in which you've learned to improve your marriage that other people could benefit from. I'd love it if you would share it with me so you can email me your thoughts, your ideas, your feedback. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me all the stuff at danielle at daniellebean.com or connect with me on Facebook. Send me a voicemail. You know I love voicemails. It's been a while since anybody sent me a voicemail, so I'm just going to cry about that um, until somebody sends me one. Um, you can send it on Voxer. We can connect on Voxer. The link to connect with me on Voxer is in the show notes at ascensionpress.com or just record a voice memo on your phone and send it to me at danielle at daniellebean.com. You know I love to hear from you. That's part of what makes us a community. So go ahead and let me know what's on your mind. I just want to take a moment to thank Ascension for partnering with me to bring you this podcast. At ascensionpress.com, you'll find all kinds of media and resources and videos and blogs and other podcasts, all kinds of faith resources for your personal spiritual growth, but also that support you in your marriage, support your kids in their faith life, your family and your parish, learning more and learning to love your Catholic faith. You can check it all out at ascensionpress.com. And I also want to mention that I'm booking speaking events for um, this winter. And if you think you or your parish or your women's group would like to have me come speak, or maybe you'd like to host my Your Worth It Day retreat for women at your parish or your community, you can get more information about all of that at daniellebean.com. You can click on the speaking tab for more information about that or click on the retreat tab to get a form that you can fill out to request more information. You know I would love to come and meet you and get to know and support and encourage and affirm the women and marriages in your community. So go ahead and check that out at daniellebean.com. And finally, before we have to go this week, I am excited to be sharing with you the pre-sale, pre-sale launch of my new book, You Are Enough, What Women of the Bible Teach You About Your Mission 
and worth. So you can pre-order this book. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. I don't have the link right now as of this recording, but be looking at um, daniellebean.com, be looking at my Facebook page. You can be looking at the Girlfriends podcast show notes to get the link where you can pre-order. I promise as soon as I have it, I'm going to be shouting it all over the place, but we're on the verge of getting that together. So um, if you pre-order the book, a special free bonus that you will get is for totally free, you will get a companion journal for your reading of the book, for your personal use, or for use in a group of women that might get together and read the book together. Um, again, the book is titled, You Are Enough, What Women of the Bible Teach You About Your Mission and Worth. And in this book, I look at women of the Old Testament and the ways in which their stories relate to us today. As women today, what we can learn about God's unique love for women, but not only that, God's unique love for you and the unique calling that he has for you inside of your vocation today, what we can learn from those stories. And I was really surprised um, as part of just sharing with you a little bit about what the book is about. So before we finish up here today, I'm going to read from a part of the book, just sharing with you a portion of the book that I've gotten permission to share here on the podcast that really gives you a feel of the theme and the flavor and the overall perspective of the book. When I was a young mom, we were fortunate to live close to Dan's paternal grandmother. Effie Bean, great Grammy Bean to my young kids, lived about 30 minutes away. Grammy was a tough old New Englander who insisted upon living by herself in her own small home well past her 90th birthday, but she loved it when I would bring the kids to visit for an afternoon. We would pour glasses of lemonade and sit on her front porch watching the kids pick dandelions and breathing in the heavy scent of lilac bushes nearby. And then I would ask Grammy questions. I asked about her wedding day. I asked about the birth of each of her kids. I asked about the work she used to do in the factory. I asked about raising kids without electricity or run, running water. I asked about getting around in the days before she had a car. I asked about dates she went on with her husband back when they were courting. I asked about all the details, the big things and the small things that made up her long life so far. Grammy would always patiently share funny stories and everyday stories and tragic stories from long ago, but she would often pause before answering, scrunch up her face just a little bit and say, that was a long time ago. Why do you care about all this old stuff anyway? I cared because her stories were real. They were history. They were my kids' roots. And I cared because the stories she told underscored the timelessness of the human experience. People worked and prayed. They fell in love, got married, and had babies. They suffered loss, they struggled through hard times, and they learned and grew along the way. We are still doing all that stuff. In today's world of instant sharing and multiple forms of digital connection, too often something is lost. When everything is instant, few things feel permanent. And yet, in a world where everything feels fleeting and temporary, we are made for everlasting life. We are meant to experience God's abiding love. One of the times I visited with Grammy, she took out an old photo album and we paged through it together, pausing to ask questions and tell stories about the people in the faded photographs inside. Toward the end, Grammy handed me a photo of a seated woman wearing a high-necked, long-sleeved, ruffled dress. Ella DeWitt was scrawled on the back in Grammy's unmistakable handwriting. Ella DeWitt was Grammy's grandmother on her father's side, she explained. 
This was an extra copy, and so I could keep it if I wanted. I had the photo framed and hung it on the wall in our living room. It still hangs there today. I cherish this photo because it reminds me that while I might not share blood with Ella DeWitt or even with Effie Bean, I share stories with them. Shared stories are the stuff that gives life lasting meaning. Here in this book, we share even older stories. Ones that come from the ancient chapters of the Bible itself with all the timelessness that that implies. In them, I have found, and I hope you will too, a timeless message of God's abundant and unique love for each of us. Through the stories of Rahab and Abigail, we see that God calls each of us in unique ways, and ultimately, we find our place of true belonging only inside of our relationship with him. God calls you just as you are. In the experiences of Bathsheba and Tamar, we learn that even when others do not, God sees us in our pain loves us as his precious daughters and longs to heal us of our wounds. God acknowledges your suffering and lifts you up. Through the stories of Judith and Delilah, we learn that women have unique strength in this world and that God gives us the freedom to use our gifts to bless those around us. God gives you power to do great things and the freedom to choose. In the stories of Hannah and Sarah, we find encouragement and hope in knowing that God never abandons us. He cares deeply about the things we pray for and wants to give us good things. God knows the desires of your heart, and they are good. When we read the stories of the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite woman, we are reminded of our call to trust in God for all things. We are all dependent upon God for all things. He will provide for us, even through the toughest of times. God knows your needs and promises to take care of you. Through the stories of Miriam, the Pharaoh's daughter, Ruth, Naomi, Rachel, and Leah, we learn about the gift of feminine friendship and the call to support and encourage one another in the unique challenges we face as women. God gives you the gift of friendship and connection with others. In the story of Eve, we find out about the universal call to motherhood, the unique gifts and strengths God gives us as women, and the ways in which we are called to fulfill our greatest calling by loving and nurturing others. God blesses others with the gift of you. And finally, in the story of the woman in Proverbs 31, we learn that we are all called by God in different ways. God made each of us perfect for the role he wants us to play in our families, in our communities, and in the world at large. God calls you to greatness. Through the power of these ancient stories, I hope that you can begin to see the timelessness of God's infinite love to trust in his goodness and let go of all the things that don't matter. God loves you just as you are. God calls you just as you are. Find courage to stop struggling for love. Find strength to stand on the shoulders of our sisters who went before us and be fully and authentically yourself. Find the joy you are meant to have as the precious daughter of a God who knows you and loves you inside and out. Standing on the strength of our shared stories, let the truth of God's abiding love speak directly to your heart and accept the message he speaks to you there. God made you good and you are enough. Thanks be to God for the gift of you. So that's just a little sampling of the thoughts and themes that I share in the book, You Are Enough. 
I can't wait to share the whole thing with you in the coming days and weeks. Like I said, I am truly hopeful that by the time this podcast publishes, I'll have a link available for you to pre-order your copy. And if you pre-order, you get that bonus of the companion journal for You Are Enough, What Women of the Bible Teach You About Your Mission and Worth. I'm also looking forward to all the ways that we can use this space here on the podcast to explore some of the themes that are in the book of God's personal love for you and your unique mission and calling. I'm so glad that you're here and that we're able to do this together. So thank you for being here. Thank you for spending this time with me and for being a part of the Girlfriends community. If you're here listening, you belong and you're a part here. So thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of your presence. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between DanielleBean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. Thank you.